0: you are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. Is it well with your soul? And today we're going to talk about fear. I'm always afraid that this isn't going to work. Uh, We're going to talk about fear, when you feel afraid. When I was a kid, uh, I I had a, a very, very, extremely irrational fear of the dark. I was so scared of the dark. And that is called uh, nyctophobia, fear of the dark, nyctophobia, if you are are inclined to know what that is. Um, Very irrational. And the two scariest moments for me when I was a kid was when I would take the trash out at nighttime and when I would go to sleep at night, right? So with the trash, I would always make sure that the trash was out before the sun went down. But then my mom would, like, throw more trash, and she'd call me, and she'd be like, Mike, I need you to take the trash out. I'm like, Mom, I already told you there's monsters outside. There's werewolves, there's vampires, the boogeyman. You don't know what's going on out there. This is too dangerous for me. I'm a kid. So she's like, there's nothing out there. Go take out the trash. So I had this down to a science, people. I would go out the side door, and you walk down the driveway, and then at the end of the driveway was our dumpster. (laughs) And so there was a spot that I had determined whatever the the weight of the trash bag was that I could throw it from to make it into the dumpster. So I would take it and I would tie it up and I would run. And then if this was an Olympic sport, I would be a gold medalist. I would take a step and throw it, (laughs) follow through, watch it spin. Sometimes it wouldn't make it in, but I didn't care. So it would be trash everywhere, but I don't got time for that cleaning up when the monsters are gone. Um, And then the other time at at nighttime, uh, I would go in with the lights on. My mom wouldn't let me have a nightlight. So rude. And I would pull the covers back so they were, it was just the sheets, and I would would position myself like this, stretch a little bit beforehand, and put my fingertip on the light switch. And then when I was ready, I would do a mental count, three, two, one, flip the light switch off, and launch myself into bed. And then in one motion, I'd hit bed and roll over with the covers over me. Because my irrational mind told me that if I completely covered myself with blankets, That was the impenetrable barrier that the boogeyman could not get through. Like he wanted to get me, but he's like, oh, he covered himself with the blankets again. I don't know what to do. Very irrational. You are born, all of us are born with two fears. You're afraid of falling and the fear of loud noises. Fear of falling, fear of loud noises. Every one of us are born with those fears. Everything else that we're afraid of, we learn to be afraid of that. We learn to be afraid of those things. So I have, uh, I have arachnophobia also. I've conquered my fear of the dark, okay? I'm done with that. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big boy now. But I have arachnophobia. I am terrified of spiders. So irrational. I don't even want to look at a picture of a spider, right? I learned how to be afraid of spiders because of how my family reacted towards spiders when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, they would freak out. And so in my mind, a spider means I'm going to die, right, or possibly get superpowers, one or the other. But I don't want to chance it. So I'm very scared of spiders. So we learn how to be afraid of things based on circumstances, based on uh, how we were raised, based on our family. So I have a list of fears here that I just wanted to share with you. The first two, I, I, I don't know if they're legitimate fears, but they're hilarious if they are. I'm sorry if you have either one of those fears. If you're afraid of the color yellow, xanthophobia, or you have turophobia and you're afraid of cheese, I'm very sorry. Um, Somnophobia, fear of falling asleep. And the interesting thing I read about that one was that people are afraid that during their sleep time, they're not going to be productive. That's crazy. Like, I'm going to go home today and I'm going to take a nap. I don't care if I accomplish anything. I'm going to accomplish napping. It's going to be glorious. Uh, Nomophobia, fear of being without mobile phone coverage. Come on, folks, this is real. How many of you have gotten to your destination only to realize you forgot your phone, panicked, you drove home and got it? I have. Uh, Hylophobia, fear of trees. Comes from scary movies. There's scary things in the woods. Corlophobia, fear of clowns. Clowns are happy. They make balloons. I blame Stephen King for that one. Arachnophobia, fear of spiders. And Glossophobia, fear of public speaking. Anybody fear of public speaking? Anybody afraid of that? You could be honest. It's all right. It's a couple of you. All right, so every other person in here, just come up and start preaching one of these days. (laughs) Phobias are very irrational. There's no reason for them. There's no reason really for me to be afraid of spiders. I should get over it. Just tell myself, just stop it. But for some reason, I can't. They're very irrational and they're treatable. You can treat phobias. My wife says you can treat them pretty easily. So, but fear is a a, a natural reaction in certain situations, right? The emotion of fear is a basic human emotion. And in a lot of times it's good. Okay? So something scares you and you feel fear and it kicks in and your fight or flight mode kicks in and if fear helps you react to keep you safe in dangerous situations, right? So you see something scary, you react and you stay safe. So fear in that sense is good. However, when we choose to live in fear, when fear controls our lives, that is when things get out of line. That is when things are not good. So the emotion of fear is okay. But allowing fear to control your life to the point where it paralyzes you is not a good thing. You with me? So the emotion of fear is normal. Living your life in fear, not normal. But for a lot of people, in some shape or form, their everyday life is shaped by the fears that they experience. The fears that they have, the things that they are afraid of, shape their everyday life. And so our goal today is to help us look at a biblical model on how we should react towards fear and what we should do when we feel afraid and what God is asking us to do when we are afraid. So a lot of the fears that we uh, experience on a daily basis can fall into one of four categories. This isn't the the end-all list, but it's just my list. Fear of loss. We're afraid of losing something. You're afraid of losing Your marriage, you're afraid of losing uh, your kids, you're afraid of losing a car, you're afraid of losing your house, you're afraid of losing your job, right? And if you fear losing your job, then that brings in a whole nother branch of fears when it comes to financial stability. You're afraid that you're not gonna have money and so fear of loss. Fear of failure. You wanna do well, you don't wanna fail. But fear of failure will stop you from stepping into situations that have been God-ordained. And fear of failure will stop you from really experiencing the best that life has to offer and the best that God has to offer for you, right? And I've talked about failure before in a message and failure is an event that happens. It is not a thing that defines you. You may fail, but you are not a failure. But we are so afraid of being labeled a failure and we are so afraid of that um, that it stops us from really stepping into what God has for us. Fear of rejection, We want people to love us, right? We all want to be loved. We all want to be liked. We all want to be valued. We don't want to be rejected. And a lot of times, the most hurtful rejection comes from close personal relationships. So when we've gone through rejection, it stops us from pursuing good, healthy, loving relationships because we are so afraid that we are going to be rejected again. Rejection is something that I dealt with a lot when I was a kid So when I met Christina, um, she was, I liked her. Like, she was a cool girl. But then one day I was like, dang, this girl is fine. I (laughs) got to do something about this. But I was so afraid of being rejected. So I was like, all right, I'm going to pray. So I was like, Lord, I like this girl. What should I do? Like, can I I date her? Like, is this okay, Lord? Are you with this? Are you behind this? And I felt God say, yeah. But I was like, is that just my heart? Or is that really you? So I had like a Gideon moment, right? Like put out my fleece. And I was like, all right, God, you got to prove it to me. So I went through all these steps because I needed to be sure without a shadow of a doubt that if I asked her out on a date, she was going to say yeah. Talked to her pastor. And I was like, hey, what do you think about this? He was like, go for it, man. I was like, will you pray, pray, pray about it? And he goes, oh, okay. So we, we prayed and everything was good. All, everything was in alignment. So it comes the day and I'm like, oh, all right, I got this, Jesus. So I asked Christina if she would go out on a date with me. She said, no. <laughs> I was like, for real? You, play, you playing tricks on me, God? Um, and so it took, it took me a few months before I had the courage to go back and ask her again. But finally, I was like, look, I'm going to continue to ask you until you say yes. So if you don't want to be bothered that way, just, just agree. To just get to know me a little bit. So she did. And it worked. Fear of rejection, and then fear of the unknown. And everything that we've, all these, all these other three fears can kind of be uh, uh, summarized in fear of the unknown. That we're so afraid of the things that we can't see. We're so afraid of the things that we don't understand and the things that might happen that we just stop ourselves from ever doing anything significant from, for God. And it's okay for us to just be comfortable and not step out and make a difference because we don't know what's going to happen, right? We walk by faith though, not by sight. It's okay for us to do that. It's okay for us to step out. It's okay for us to, to experience that, that little emotion of fear, but then give it over to God and allow ourselves to not be controlled by that. And so a lot of times in the church, you'll hear the, the, that faith is the opposite of fear. Right, that if we experience fear, if we're afraid, it means that we don't have faith in our life. And I don't fully agree with that. I don't fully agree that the presence of fear means the absence of faith. I think that we put our faith in the wrong thing. And that our faith is just a little misplaced. Right? So the church answer is, well, I'm afraid. Okay, well, you need more faith. What's wrong with you? Clearly, you have sin in your life and you need to just give that to Jesus or else... Just nothing's ever gonna happen. Good to you. I'm sorry. Anyway, um, so, but what happens when I have faith, but I'm still afraid of failure? Is that possible? What happens when I don't wanna fail or I'm afraid of being rejected, but I still have faith in God? It doesn't mean that there's no faith. It just means that your faith is misplaced. You put your faith in the wrong thing. So here's our key thought this morning. Fear is placing your faith in what ifs rather than God is. You're you're putting more faith in the fear than you are in God. You're putting more faith in the hypothetical what if. I put more faith in the fact that I might get eaten by the boogeyman if I take the trash out at night than the fact that there's no boogeyman and God will protect me. God is bigger than the boogeyman. Um, Fear stops us because we don't know what's going to happen. And so we come up to a situation and we start playing through these what ifs in our mind and we take ourselves down this winding path of possibilities and, and, and what if questions and we eventually hold ourselves hostage by our own imagination. You get into a situation and you're like, well, what if this happens? What if I lose my job? What if they say no? What if she doesn't love me anymore? What if that person rejects me? What if it doesn't work? What if we trusted God enough to believe that he had things under control? So the what-if questions will paralyze you, and it's caused by our own imaginations. A biblical example of this playing out would be the story of Moses and the burning bush. So remember, um, Moses is a shepherd, and he's just doing his shepherd stuff. He's walking around and... um, tending his sheep, and he sees a bush, and the bush is on fire, and then the bush says, Moses. Moses is weird and probably lonely, so he hears his name from a fiery bush, and he's like, okay, I'll go check it out, and it's God, and God talks to him, and God says, hey, I'm going to use you. You're going to free my people, so you go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go, and God's like, gives this big speech, and he's like, let's do this, Moses, and Moses is like, yeah, God, all right, let's go, and that's the end of the story. No, Moses responds and says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. That was a mis-typo a there. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? So basically, um, what, what should I say to them? Like, I, I, yeah, you want me to go, but what do I say if they ask me who told them? And this question kind of makes sense because the Egyptians had a bunch of different gods. Each one of them had a specific name. And so God alleviates all the fears or tries to and gives Moses like his holy name, this name that has never been used before. He says, you tell them that I am that I am. I am what I am. I am sent you, the great I am. We sing about it, right? The name above all names. That's the name he uses. And he says, tell them this. And then he gives this long speech about how awesome it's gonna be. And then Moses responds, what if? What if they don't believe me or listen to me? And say, the Lord didn't appeal to you, appear to you. What if they don't believe me? So God says, what's in your hand? A staff, throw it on the ground. It becomes a snake, picks it back up. It's a stick again. Put your hand in your cloak. Ah, leprosy, put it back. Oh, it's good again, right? So he, he's like, do this if they say they don't believe you. Basically, here's some miracles. Put them in your back pocket. Use them if they don't believe you. Still, it wasn't enough for Moses. And his next response after that was, Lord, please send someone else to do it. We do the same thing. God, God tell somebody else to do it. God, I don't want to go talk to my coworker about you. I don't want to witness to my family member. I don't, I don't want to deal with the spirituality of my kids, so I'm going to take them to the youth ministry, which I think of as a dry cleaner, and I pick them up 90 minutes later, all clean and pressed does not work that way. 90 minutes is not enough time. So we gotta partner together. That's why I'm telling you sign your kids up for EHS. It's gonna make your whole family better. Anyway, what if I mess up? What if they don't believe me? What if I say the wrong thing? Moses asks the same questions that we ask when God asks us to do something, right? Your life has value, your life has meaning, and your life has significance. Those are true statements about each and every one of us in this room, and nobody knows that more than God, and nobody knows us better than him, and knows how to set us up to be significant and to live our lives in a meaningful, powerful, significant way for his kingdom. Nobody knows how to do that better than God. So if God is asking you to step out and do something, he's going to help you see it through. You might not be able to see all of it ahead of you. You might still have that fear of the unknown a little bit, but that doesn't mean that God is not there. And so we need to put more faith in him than we put in our own imagination and the what if questions. What if my kids don't listen? Well, God is still their savior and can still speak to them. Well, what if I get sick? Well, God is your healer. What if it doesn't pan out and we lose money? Well, that's, that's okay, because God is your provider anyway. Not you, right? But we get in these situations where we say, basically our actions say to God, you need me to intervene more than I need you, God. Because clearly you're not doing anything right here, so you need my help. I need to work more, I need to do more. Because you need my help in this situation, because clearly you're not doing enough to meet my needs. And rather than believing that God's been God for quite some time and probably knows what he's doing, we trust ourselves and we put our faith in our own ability and we put our faith in the what ifs and we allow that fear to cripple us and stop us. So you are saying you, you are letting fear shape your life more than you're letting the will and word of God shape your life when you give in to those what if questions. But before we toss them completely aside, Uh, they can actually be of some value. These what if questions can can be of some value to us because um, that fear reveals certain things. And the first thing that fear reveals is what you value. What you fear reveals what you value. If you fear losing your marriage, then you value your marriage. You value a healthy marriage. You value commitment in your marriage. If you fear losing your kids, you fear, you, you value your kids, right? But if you fear losing your kids to the point where everything they do is underneath your thumb, what are they gonna do when they grow up and move out of your house and you're not there? Right? So you've gotta trust that God loves your kids more than you do and cares about them more than you do and knows how to take care of them more than you do. If you fear losing your job, then that shows that you value financial security. All of these things are okay to value. It's okay to value your marriage. It's pretty good to value your marriage. Good to value your kids. Good to value your financial security. But when your pursuit of these things is based on fear, what you're saying is that you don't trust God to handle it. So your fear reveals what you value, but your fear also reveals where you trust God the least. And if you're constantly, like, it's okay, again, please hear my heart. It's okay to, to want a good life for your family. It's okay to want a good life for your, your kids. It's okay to want to do those things. But if you're saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to climb the corporate ladder. I'm going to do everything I can to get all the money I can. And then once I'm at the end of that, okay, then, God, I'm all yours. What if God wants you now? What if God is saying I don't want you to get that, I don't want you to take that promotion. I don't want you to take that job. I don't want you to transfer over there. I don't want you to work that overtime because that's time you could be with me. I want you to have a Sabbath. I don't want you to work on your day off. Spend time with your kids. Spend time with your spouse. Spend time in God's presence and do something of value for his kingdom. When we focus all our time and energy on obtaining more things, we are telling God we don't trust him with our provision. We don't trust that he knows how to provide for us. There's a scripture for that. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Can you add a single hour to your life by worrying? If if that was possible, I would live to be like 700. I would have banked up so many extra years by now, right? It doesn't, worrying is, when you worry, you're still going to go through the same process, but you're going to be more stressed out because you're worrying about it. When I used to get stressed out and worry at my, my job when I was in Las Vegas, my boss would pull me in his office and go, do you get paid extra for, for being stressed and worrying? And I was like, what? He's like, you're walking around all angry and worried. Do, you, do we pay you more for that? I was like, no. And he goes, so stop it. And I'm like, oh, okay. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> God can provide for you. But what if God is your provider? But what if God is your provider? Remind yourself that over and over and over and over again. God is. We've got to stop living in fear, or we're never going to be able to walk in the plan and the purpose that God has for us. And he knows this, right? Fear is nothing new to him. He's been dealing with people for a long time. And he knows this so much that the most frequently used commandment in the scriptures is do not be afraid the most frequently used command in scriptures do not be afraid it's a commandment it's not a he's not saying please please guys please can you just just a little bit trust me please it's a commandment do not be afraid look at the person next to you tell him do not be afraid tell him with power and authority stop it So how, how do we stop being afraid? Face your fears, identify them, name them. Stop pretending they don't exist. Stop pretending that there's this giant elephant of fear in the room and you don't see it. When I was younger, I used to not look at my bank account because I didn't wanna see how much money I didn't have. That doesn't work because you just keep using the card And eventually, there's a negative balance, and you get charged for it. That was dumb. I didn't look at it because I didn't want to see it. I don't want to be reminded. A lot of times, we don't want to face that fear because we don't want to be reminded that it's there. But face it, name it, identify it, write it down. If it's coming to you right now, write it down. I am afraid of this. Once you do that, you can start to work with it, right? I have arachnophobia, so if I was really wanting to do this, I could go to a psychologist, right? So you face your fears, you give them to God. If I went to a psychologist, a psychologist might say, hey, I'm going to recommend exposure therapy to you, right? And exposure therapy means you're afraid of spiders? Let's talk about spiders. (laughs) Now, draw a picture of a spider, right? Now, uh, uh, let's look at a picture of one. Let's watch a video of a spider. The next session, we're going to bring a tarantula in. It's going to stay on the other side of the room right? And then we're going to put it in between us. Now let's open it, right? Just touch it with your finger. Thinking about this drives me crazy, guys. Um, And then it eventually leads up to put a tarantula in your hand. No, I will throw it against the wall. Oh, go ahead. Nope. Step on it. I don't have time for spiders. But exposure therapy, my wife says it works. Maybe she just needs to buy a bunch of tarantulas and put them on me while I'm sleeping. Remember that show Fear Factor? They got like put their face in a box full of tarantulas. You can keep your $50,000. I, I don't need it. Um, but it's, event, it's, it's, it's exposing you to what you're afraid of to show you eventually that what you're afraid of is not that bad. Right? So how this might work in a spiritual sense is, um, you know, I grew up poor and so I was so afraid of financial security. And when I got saved and I start hearing about giving and tithing, and I'm like, I gave my life to Jesus? Now you want me to give him my money? they're like, no, 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 it's good. It's going to help you. I'm like, no, you guys are crazy. You just want my money. Only thing I'm going to see is 10% less in the bank account that I already don't look at. So I finally understood and faced the fact that I was so afraid of financial security. So I I told God, I was like, God, I don't know what to do about this. And then God was like, why don't you start giving money? I was like, no. How is that going to help? So I started small, and and the offering plate would pass me, and I would go, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And sometimes it would be like five bucks, so I would put five bucks. And it was hard. It was so hard to put $5 in the offering plate. But I did it. And you know what I realized? That $5 did not kill me. So I started doing more and more and more. And eventually, with this relationship I was building with God, I led up to the point where I was tithing 10% and then more. And you know what I realized is that God is not, I might be limited in my ability to make money, but God is not limited in his ability to provide for me. So when I live open-handed and give to him what's rightfully his anyway, he's not going to leave me stranded. And I'm realizing and understanding that God is bigger than my fears. So face them and then give them to God. Don't just go, "Here you go, God. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna leave now," right? Because the third part to this is somewhere pursue relationship with Him. So identify the fear, give it to the Lord. And then pursue relationship with him. And as you pursue relationship with him, he will give you the courage and the strength and the ability to overcome these things by his Holy Spirit. The church said amen. He will give you the ability to overcome. Right? Pursue relationship with him. But some of us have been so captivated by our fears that we have scheduled every part of our life to make sure that we have what we need, that we don't have any time for Jesus. We don't even have time for ourselves, let alone time for the Lord. So again, we're gonna do this thing called EHS. You can sign up for it in the gym after service, and it will teach you how to establish a daily rhythm in your life with the Lord. Imagine this. Imagine you're sitting here, your spouse is here, your teenage kids are in here because they are part of service today because it's the first Sunday. And all of you took EHS together, and you're all at separate tables because we care about you. We want you to be able to talk about things without being afraid of your spouse's or kid's response. Imagine all of you learn this daily habit, this daily routine of pursuing Jesus and spending time with the Lord and making time for Him. And then God starts to speak to you. And then God starts to intervene. And then God starts to show you that what you're scared of, He is bigger than those things. Oh man! Imagine how entire generations could be changed because we decided to take two hours every Sunday for eight weeks to give some time to God. Mm. It can happen, people. What if? What if we gave God some more time? Pursue relationship with Him. Face your fears, give them to God, and pursue relationship with Him. Worship team, if you're around, you oh, you're in here. You can come up. A lot of the stuff that we deal with is so irrational. But fear is normal emotion, right? And you know who experienced fear in the scriptures was Jesus. When Jesus was in the garden, scripture says he was in anguish and he was sweating blood, right? That happens. I don't know the term for it, but it happens. You get so stressed out and you're in such anguish that the capillaries will burst and the sweat will come out of your pores. Jesus was afraid of what was coming up. He was experiencing fear. So he took that fear and brought it to God said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. He identified the fear. He gave the fear to his father. And through that relationship, he was strengthened and encouraged and had the courage to continue to go because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's a couple things here. First, Jesus sets a great example of of this, of how we can get past those fears, how we can stop living in fear. He shows us that even though Jesus went through that pain and that agony, it was short-lived when you look at the outcome of eternity. And so when I face my fear, when I give it to God, when I pursue relationship with him, It might be painful, but he's gonna be with me the whole time, and I know that that pain is not gonna last forever, and I know that what's on the other side is better than what's here. If I'm afraid, and I've gotta walk through this path with the Lord to get to a point when I'm not afraid anymore, I wanna go here. And I know it can be painful, I know it can be hard, and I know it, it might bring up things from your past. But you are not a slave to fear because you are a child of God. And I, my my wife reminded me of that this morning. Oh man, I had a moment, I was just in in tears when we were singing that song because I've, I've gone through a lot of stuff in my life. But I can stand here confidently and say that God has conquered those fears in me. That the Lord has given me the courage to be able to overcome that stuff. And I am a child of God, so I don't have to live in fear. You are a child of God, so you do not have to live in fear. You can live in freedom. Sure, you can have a moment of, oh, that scares me every once in a while. But you're going to cultivate a relationship with God that says, he's bigger. doesn't matter what comes my way. I serve the God that split the Red Sea. I serve the God that death doesn't matter to him he raises people from the dead I serve the God that can make the whole entire earth stop for a day so the sun stands still in the sky if that's the God I serve pretty sure he can make me give me some courage to follow him a little bit better pretty sure that he can provide for me So we're gonna move into a a time of communion here. Um, And it's a time where we remember all that Jesus did for us. It's a time we remember that Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man. He experienced fears just like we do and he's able to overcome. And because he was able to overcome, he opens the door for us to come to God. God. And when I can come to the Lord and I can learn how to conquer my fears with his help, then that opens the door for other people. You don't understand, we don't understand sometimes that our worship, our our relationship with God, the way that we respond to his presence is unconsciously giving everybody else the ability to be free as well. When Paul and Silas were in prison, they weren't complaining, they worshiped. They weren't afraid of prison, they were worshiping God. And their worship was so powerful Everybody else in prison got free. If we could step out and live our life with faith and boldness, you will bring freedom in your life but in everybody else's around you also. That's how powerful God is. That's how powerful God is. That's the God we serve. That's why Jesus Jesus died to give us that kind of relationship with the Lord. He, he came to show us the way and died to give us access to him, to God. So would you, would you stand with us, please? So I just wanna remember how awesome our Jesus is. Remember how awesome our God is. And recognize and understand that how we respond to the cross has the potential to open the door for other people to do the same thing. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.